Welcome to the Food and Beverage Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Curbing food waste in the food and beverage industry isn't an issue exclusive to restaurants and grocery stores. The conversation starts all the way at the farm, though that conversation isn't reaching enough of the community, according to our guest today, Chef Peter Smith, executive chef at the JW Marriott Desert Springs in Greater Palm Springs, California. Smith grew up on a cattle station in Australia, living and breathing authentic farm life. There, he got to see firsthand how much food is wasted because of a public perception that it's ugly. Smith joined us on this episode of the podcast to break down how each point along a piece of food's journey is riddled with unnecessary waste, the legal and community-sourced ways the industry can make a real change, as well as his thoughts on the recent social movement around reducing plastic straw use. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm great, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us, and I'm ready to dive into a conversation with another fabulous chef. We've had some great chefs on our podcast before, um, but we haven't quite talked about this subject, which is food waste management. It's something that I think is really important in the restaurant industry, especially when you're dealing with so much food, um, making sure that it's disposed of properly and making sure that you are not wasting valuable resources, both the both for the financial interests of, well, you know, you don't, you don't want to waste your product, but also the environmental interests, uh, making sure that we're not uh, producing a bunch of food and then just tossing it. So I'm excited to dive into your insight um, on food waste management. But before we get into that, I guess I want to know, uh, you know, what makes you passionate about this side of the restaurant industry? Was this something that you noticed, you know, growing up, going through your chef training process, that things were out of whack with uh, food waste management and that you wanted to just have a personal stake in fixing it? It's something that I've been involved in now, I suppose, for a few years, Um, but I can really track it back to growing up. I grew up in Australia um, on a cattle station, which was uh, primarily beef cattle, and then we did have agriculture there as well. We did wheat, barley, sorghum, um, hay, feed for other livestock. And you would see a lot of waste, especially on the fruit and vegetable side. And being a kid seeing it, it was just, you know, fruit that honestly we would throw at each other and have fig fights and apple fights and pear fights. And that was all the blemished food. And, you know, when you're a young kid, you don't realize um, the amount of waste that comes off of that. And having, you know, been a chef now for around 20 years and worked all over the world, um, coming to the U.S., I was really surprised. Um, how much focus is on food waste and, you know, ideally the reduction of food waste. Um, So I I worked for Corporate Marriott for a few years um, in their global design and development departments. And one of the things that was thrown at us um, from consumers was what is food waste? How do we deal with it? And um, how do we curb it? How do we eventually stop it? And during our meetings, we realized we had no idea. We didn't even know where to start. We had no targets. We had no data. And of course, there's a lot of information online you can read about it. You know, some of it's sensationalized, some of it actually true. So developing a target, I think, is something that where we wanted to start. And then from there, we sort of worked backwards into it. So to answer the question, probably noticed in my early childhood as a, as a young boy growing up on a farm in Australia, and then um, over the years, it just came to a head um, working around the world and seeing how much is wasted. And then once you start to research, the actual numbers are staggering. 
of what we waste. And then, of course, the attributed um, financial impact of that and how many billions of dollars globally is wasted. So it, it all sort of came to fruition, I think, in the last few years. Yeah, well, and I think there's also just been a big conversation around it from the consumer end, which it sounds like you have seen that as well, that, you know, the the traditional consumer is starting to be a little more conscientious about uh, being ecologically conscious. Is that something that you've seen from diners? You know, when they go to their restaurants, they they sort of want to know and see that practices at their restaurants are green and eco-friendly? Um, yes and no. I, you know, I work in a very big resort in Southern California. Um, a lot of the new millennial um, focus groups coming in and, and meeting planners are asking. They want to know what your green practices are, what type of soap you're using, um, what you do to reduce food waste, and what happens to um, recycling. It, it's, it's on the periphery, I think, right now. As far as the average consumer, though, from a restaurant standpoint, um, I think we'd be hard-pressed to really push past, is it organic, is it farm-to-table, and is it sustainable? That's, they're the buzzwords that are still out there, and that's why when I was asked to do this podcast, I was like, I don't want to talk about farm-to-table, I want to talk about sustainable, and I don't want to talk about organic. I want to talk about something that's really impacting us globally. Um, those are very important topics, topics don't get me wrong, um, but for me, food waste now um, really outweighs the fact does something come straight from a farm to the table. Um, so it, it's, it's, there's two answers to that question. It's yes, the consumer is a little more um, aware, um, but they don't really know where to start, as we did when we started looking at this. They can say, how, how are your food waste practices? And I could respond by saying, well, what's a food waste practice? And I've got blank looks every time I've said that. So I think, you know, the educational part of getting the consumer to understand what food waste is, the many elements of food waste, because food waste really starts at the farm and then it finishes at the end of a scraped plate. Um, so it's a multifaceted answer to a very simple question. And as I said, you know, Daniel, I think we're just at the periphery right now. We're just, we're just on the outskirts. Um, and, but there's a lot of companies that are coming in that even we're partnering with now to, um, to help us. You know, it's inevitable we're going to have food waste at the end of dinner, at the end of these massive convention banquets we do. It's, it's unavoidable, as much as we'd like to say it's not. Um, part of what we're focusing on now and our conversation back to the consumer is, apart from the food that can be repurposed and given to um, shelters, etc., some of it honestly can't, and that's what we're focusing on now. So the food that is left over, scraped off the plate, doesn't go into a landfill, doesn't go into a compostable item or a recycling area, that it's actually um, separated and turned into something else that's environmentally conscious as well. So, yeah, walk me through all these different kinds of food waste from the beginning of the food production all the way to the consumer taking that last bite of their plate and sending it back to the kitchen. Uh, you know, what are some different ways that food gets wasted and how can each of those levels really take a personal uh, responsibility over making sure that they're doing everything they can to be uh, ecologically conscious? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, so feel free to break that down uh, piece by piece. I, I will. I'll actually, um, 
it's it's actually really easy to break down. So starting with, I'll start with the farm. So, you know, as I mentioned before, a third of the crops that are harvested, whether it's fruit, vegetables, um, don't even make it to the market. It, it's amazing. A third of what is harvested, it's billions of tons globally, doesn't make it to a supermarket, doesn't even, and I'm not talking to the dinner plate, I'm talking to a supermarket or to a market of any description because it's classified as blemished or bruised or what we're calling ugly fruit and vegetables. Um, so I think part of what the consumer needs to understand is an apple doesn't need to be absolutely perfectly red or green or yellow, depending on what the, what the variety is, in order for it to taste great. A tomato can have a scratch, can have a blemish, can have a bruise, can have an extended stalk. A carrot doesn't need to be a perfectly elongated sphere also um, conical shape to, uh, to have the perfect taste. And I think once our consumers understand that, I think, you know, ugly vegetables will become a part of the vernacular because it's sort of an interesting concept and it will help a lot with the food reduction. So that's the first part. And I would love to see supermarkets, um, a Whole Foods or a Bristol Farms or any of the um, the really the, the markets that have an interesting uh, clientele who seem to think that they are globally aware of these issues, I'd love to see them open an ugly vegetable department where you can have ugly carrots, ugly tomatoes, ugly zucchinis that don't look picture perfect, um, and just see how the consumer is going to uh, is going to respond to that. Um, secondly, from that, once it's purchased. We need to understand the different elements of how chefs, how the home cook can use these vegetables. And I, I mean, I think that's taken care of by the Food Network and the, uh, the complete inundation over the years of, of food and beverage in every facet of our lives. And lastly, we have the waste. So the waste is something that's been a big focus recently, um, you know, especially with Marriott International and a committee that I worked on when I was with corporate Marriott, which was... Um, reducing the food waste that goes out of a property. And I mean, everything I'm speaking about today came to light when we started researching what is food waste and how does it start. Um, so one of the companies I'm working with now is a uh, company called Orca. And what Orca does is um, take that food, I'm, I'm going to call it the food scrape food that, you know, we, we'd love to repurpose, but we can't. Um, you know, it's been on a diner's plate. So because of health regulations, it has to essentially go in the trash. And I'll talk about health regulations in a little bit as well. So what Orca does is take a complete biodegradable product being food waste. It processes it um, microbially, like our, sort of like our stomach does. And it turns it into a 100% compostable biodegradable liquid that goes down the drain. So what this does is it um, liberates the roads of garbage trucks, dump trucks, that would be picking these up from properties. Um, it lessens the electricity needed in order to process um, so much waste. It saves on water and um, it saves on thousands of the um, of, uh, generation of generated methane elements, methane elements, um, which is produced by landfills as well, which you all know is, is not good for the environment. So, uh, you know, a, a model of, an orca model um, mid-range can offset about 416,000 pounds of food waste. So what we're talking about is, is over 400,000 pounds of food waste not going into a landfill. 
So that's at the point we're at at the property I'm at right now and a couple of other uh, trial properties around the country. So essentially I've sort of taken you from um, soup to nuts as they say. So we've started at the farm, we've talked about ugly vegetables and how the consumer needs to use ugly vegetables as opposed to the perfectly aesthetic pleasing vegetables that everybody likes to take photos of and put on Instagram at their farmer's market and saying, you know, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful tomato. What I'd love people to do is take a carrot with four different legs to it, take a photo of that and say, this is what we're going to turn in for dinner tonight. That's a start. Um, and the last part of that is the unavoidable food waste that properties of this size and around the world um, are going to have what they do with that to ensuring it doesn't go into landfills. And then, you know, something else that's been under a lot of research um, and scrutiny lately is Best Buy labels. Um, you know, legally in the US, the only thing that can have really a use by date is baby food. But we have use by dates on every single piece of processed or semi-processed food at all. And essentially, a use by date is a best by date, meaning it peaks at this time, it's probably going to taste its best at this time, you could use it or consume it after this date, it's not going to kill you, it's probably not even going to taste bad, but this is what we, we consider to be the best buy. I think, you know, labeling needs to be addressed as well and extended so perfectly, perfectly healthy items aren't sitting on a best buy date two or three or even four days prior to their expiration. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a multifaceted issue, like you said, and it's it really difficult. is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult because there are some things that restaurant owners and people within the food and beverage industry can immediately hop on and start to make a personal impact. Uh, that's more on the composting side of things, making sure that waste is being, uh, you know, is going to where it needs to be. It's not just living in the landfill. But beyond that, getting the consumer to change their mind about what is um, acceptable food to eat, right? You know, getting them to view food that isn't the pristine carrot, you know, but it is something that's a little more realistic and still just as good. It just doesn't look like it would be in a cookbook. Uh, getting them to think that that is okay and that that is standard, that is going to take more time. And uh, shifting shifting the mindset of the people, that, that is a grand task. I mean, how are, uh, how are you and your restaurant or maybe if not just you, you know, how are you seeing other leaders within the industry try to change that public perception around vegetables and fruit and, and encouraging people to eat, you know, quote unquote, ugly vegetables? It's not really happening yet. It's happening at a very high level. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when I was uh, with my previous position as a director for Marriott, we, um, we did a presentation on ugly vegetables and we did it to Mr. Marriott and the board of directors and they were fascinated with it. It was really interesting, and I think that's sort of as far as it went. Um, it hasn't really trickled down to the masses yet, um, and it, it's 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 interesting to see how we can get this out because it makes so much sense. And I think the average environmentally conscious person, which is the majority of us out there, would really would love this. I think, and I I do think they would embrace this. Um, a few weeks ago. We had a large convention in-house, about 600 people, uh, North American convention um, and event executives. And I was on stage for an hour and a half talking about uh, global issues. I was talking about uh, sustainability, um, all, the, all the buzzwords. 
um, talking about global cuisine. And but one of the things I really wanted to highlight was ugly vegetables, and I incorporated it into a dish. We had some great great images as well, and it actually caused the most talking points of these uh, these you know convention executives that book meetings for a living. Um, that you know, hundreds of thousands of people worth billions of dollars to resorts and hotels around the U.S. that had no idea what ugly vegetables were and that food waste was such a problem right now, even though it's one of the things they ask about. So I think getting the getting the message to the average consumer is the problem right now. And as I sort of touched on before, I would love to see an ugly vegetable stall at Whole Foods or uh, any any supermarket. Um, you know, at a not at a reduced price, but you know, at a slightly reduced price, um, just to see how the uptake would be and how the response would be. And the reason I say not a dramatically reduced price because we still have workers that need to process. We still have farmers that need to make make a living out of this. So to go in and think you can buy an ugly vegetable, you know, for a fifth of the price, I think that's a little unrealistic. I think you know, taking a third off the price. Um, but to know you're doing something for the environment would be interesting to see how the consumer would take that. Well, and I think there's a really interesting marketing campaign idea there. Uh, I mean, imagine imagine a Whole Foods putting together a whole campaign around you know, hashtag ugly vegetables, and that becomes you know part of their staple branding. I could really see that taking off and appealing to the kinds of people that shop at, let's say, um, Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or, uh, you know, people that, uh, consumers that have a, a more environmentally conscious outlook on how they eat and how they consume their products. Um, I, I really think that there, there's something interesting there and someone should hop on that quick before it gets trademarked and then, uh, and then pushed <laughs> yeah. out by, by the other company. Um, but then on, on the regulation side of things, I know you mentioned that a lot of restaurants can take personal responsibility about making sure that they aren't um, you know, lumping together a bunch of food waste into the landfill and instead getting it composted. Do you think there's going to be any actual regulations that come through anytime soon that makes that a mandate instead of just a suggestion and a and you know more of a social movement of getting people to do that and encouraging them, but instead making it a law? Do you see that in the future at all, or, or do you think that's not going to happen? I, I do. I do think it's going to be a law. I think it's, you know, it's especially it's the larger companies, the larger hospitality companies, um, you know, such as Married International, Hyatt, um, Hilton, all those associated ones that are, they're really at the forefront of this, and I do think there needs to be a mandate to push the companies to at least start to have some type of enforcement where the chefs are going to be held accountable, or the hotels are going to be held accountable too. Um, I know in various parts of the country there are government subsidies for waste, um, and it's it's beneficial. I mean, tax breaks obviously we 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 can't avoid talking about that. I think um, you know an incoming government work with an environmental agency to enforce a waste hierarchy of sorts, um, and then the the people that um, are green to a point are celebrated, and not to say the ones that aren't are fined, but there needs to be some recourse of action to the the companies that aren't doing their their bit for the environment. I mean we're seeing all this, you know, pollution. This was pollution in the 70s and 80s, I'm sure, where pollution was becoming a real problem, and then government started enforcing it. I mean, that's why we have smog checks on cars in Cal in the U.S. Um, because you know f fuel emissions are detrimental for the environment. 
landfill is detrimental for the environment. So if we can go about avoiding it, then I do think we need to be held accountable. And I do think local all the way up to federal mandating is going to be part of that. Definitely. Well, and I think once those mandates come through, then we might immediately see more results. I mean, it's. I think it's harder to get people on the same page socially and culturally than it is maybe to just push the law and make it uh make it a mandate make it something universal and standard but you know we we won't really know until it happens and like i said i mean a marketing campaign on ugly vegetables might do the trick too i mean it it could be that easy to sway the consumer but no one's trying it yet and and that is you know where the disconnect is it's who's going to take that first leap who's going to Who's going to try just beyond the personal level to try and create a movement around managing food waste, uh, which is is difficult? Yeah, um, you know there is a organization, a farm out there, Chef's Garden, that every chef knows. Um, farmer Lee is the the spearhead and the uh, the genius and the passionate farmer behind that. And you know, Farmer Lee has been pushing. And I, I worked with him actually when I did my presentation a few weeks ago. Phenomenal man and a phenomenal organization he's got. He sells some of the most beautiful vegetables um, and fruit I've ever seen. But he also has pushed the ugly vegetable thing uh, really well as as well. And he's definitely at the forefront of that. So I do I do think you know, organizations like Chef's Garden, and I'm sure there are more out there that would be definitely available and willing to jump on the bandwagon of. Uh, of pushing the blemished fruit and vegetables out there so we can get it out there, we could get it eaten. Because um, as I said before, a third of that doesn't even make it to the market. It's a huge problem. Yeah, no, major problem. So the one of the last things I wanted to hit on here with you on the podcast is something that is rather timely, and I think we are seeing a social movement around it. And it's um, I think it's an example of how starting a conversation around a product and and being environmentally conscious can actually have an effect, and that would be with straw usage. Um, I think we've seen a lot of of memes, a lot of, I mean, just from the joke side, but then also people are legitimately posting about it and creating a movement around, let's get rid of plastic straws. We have companies that are starting to cut them out of uh, their production. You know, they're no longer giving you a straw, but you have to ask for it. You know, those kind of small acts that are trying to keep these straws out of the oceans um, are starting to have a, a literal effect. And it's interesting to see that these um, these online, these digital communities can come together to make that happen. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that whole movement, if you think it's, it's having a positive impact and um, what you think maybe the rest of the food and beverage industry might learn from the power of a digital movement uh, towards reducing not necessarily food waste, but just uh, eco-friendly practices in the industry? I think it's, it's, it's the way that we do things now. Um, the digital movement, the online world, is the way we get our message across. And it's, I, I think it's a fantastic medium. As far as the straws, I am very much on board with that. You know, growing up in Australia, I've seen a lot of... Um, you know, grow up uh, on the land or grow up hunting and fishing, very much an outdoorsman as I am. You know, I encourage my kids to be the same way. Um, but straws and plastic wrappers, plastic bags, the um, the six-pack beer holders that you see, you know, you see that the uh, the, the ubiquitous photo of the, of the six-pack beer holder with a bird or a fish with its head caught in it. 
I've been against that since I've been so young and I've been pushing for that with some of the organizations um, that I work with in the, in the hunting and fishing community. The straws is something that I think, I think we all miss that, Daniel, honestly. Um, it's something that's come to the light in the last year or so. Uh, Marriott's, you know, opening new hotels without straws now. We have, um, you know, Marco Island, it's a beautiful JW Marriott in Florida. They have a lot of massive events over there. They don't have straws. They don't allow straws or plastic on their beach. I think it's phenomenal. I think, and I honestly can't believe that we went so long without seeing this. But now it's come to a head, and I don't think you can find any level-headed person that could argue that, you know, plastic is bad for the environment. And as something as small and as simple as a straw is detrimental to the environment and wildlife. So to answer the question, it's an absolute great thing, and I support all online communities that will fight and get the message out there to the uh, the greater population. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really just think it's an example of how a hashtag or how just you know, one infographic can really start to change the narrative around how we use products and you know, maybe uh, maybe it doesn't solve the issue, but it at least gets people thinking and acting in small ways. And that's how you have to appeal to the consumer is big life changes around how you consume your food or, or uh, you know, what, what utensils you use, you know, whether that's a straw or plastic cutlery. You know, getting the conversation around what little changes can you do, I think is easier to consume as a consumer. Uh, telling people, okay, there's this huge issue, you have to revamp your whole life is is not what people want to hear, even if it's true. You know what I mean? And so and so, having those small conversations, these small movements, and continuing them, pushing them, making sure that there are more and more and more, and eventually getting to this point where maybe we see something like hashtag ugly vegetables, um, that would be huge. And I think it is a step in the right direction for making sure that our food and beverage industry continues to become more ecologically conscious. It's absolutely true. I mean, as a food and beverage industry, we use the mass majority of food and beverage, um, including straws, including perfect vegetables, where we're responsible for it. So I think now we're all, we should also be responsible for helping fix the problem that we started. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, taking that personal responsibility, that's, that's key. That's key. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for coming on this podcast and giving us your insight on food waste management. Um, you know, I think it's, like you said, we're just on the cusp of the entire issue. It hasn't really reached um, even the level that, you know, hashtag team no straw might, right? It's it's still on the way. And it's going to take more people like you, um, like your colleagues, like people at the restaurant to to push that message and to get people thinking about how can I, as an individual, um, reduce food waste uh, and create more food waste management, whether that is you know composting at a restaurant level or making sure that you go and you buy the the tomato that has that scratch on it, that you buy the zucchini that isn't quite as flush green as you might have hoped because it's still a good product and it's about changing that consumer narrative. So again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us this insight. It's been invaluable. Yeah, great. Thank you, Daniel. I know, you know, as a chef... Um... There's so many cool and sexy things we can talk about. Um, <laughs> and food waste is sort of one of them, sort of not really one of them. But it's, one, it's something I really wanted. To, I really wanted to highlight it because I, I could have come on and talked about cool restaurants and chefs and food TV and Gordon Ramsay and um, all the fun stuff that everybody likes to talk about. So, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't a, 
a very positive conversation that we had today because I wanted to bring to light some of the things that we're facing globally and as an industry um, and then wanting to let people know, you know, how they can change this. Right. Well, you know, and even if it's not the most um, flowery conversation, that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't important. And I think uh, people within the industry need to hear content like this. And there is that string of hope, you know, seeing that there is an effect and that people can make a change uh, is encouraging. And it's just going to take more of that individual power, uh, more of that community awareness and that education to, to make things change. Yeah, it has to start somewhere. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.